With the waters of Buzzards Bay lapping on the shore nearby, RPM News Weekly presents Rick's Tech Talk. Here in the RPM studio, I've got Cousin Rick on the line in Needham, Massachusetts. Good afternoon, Cousin Rick. Good afternoon, Rich. How are you this dismal day? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not dismal, but the weather sure is. Uh, and down here on the coast, we are just getting this cold, damp, dank, drizzly mess. How about you? Well, we got the same thing, but early this morning, uh, just west of Boston here, I noticed a few snowflakes on the car. Ah. But it, it's warmed up now, if you can call this warm. <laughs> All relative, I suppose, in that respect. All right. Let's get rolling here with the ride of the week. All right. What have you got for us? Yeah, and I think I mentioned this to you. I would consider this car a sleeper. Now, in the old days, a sleeper was a an ordinary-looking sedan that had a powerful engine underneath and could uh, really uh, give you a run for the money. But these days, when we're more uh, ecologically inclined, this car is a performance-looking car that is really economical, and it's a plug-in hybrid. It's the Dodge Hornet RT. Plus. Wow, that's rare in their lineup. Right, and it's uh, it comes in hot tamale red, and it's got black Alcantara seats. But it's uh, you look at the car, and there's no hint that it's a plug-in hybrid or that it's even a hybrid. It's got the Dodge red stripes on the black grill in the front, and a, a badge in the back that says Hornet and two little black hornets on the side. Mm -hmm. But if you didn't notice, there are two doors, one for the fueling uh, for gasoline on one side, and on the other side, it's the plug outlet to plug in the charger. Right. So it, it was a pleasant surprise that, you know, how I got this performance car, and it's really efficient. And let, let's go through some of the, uh, some of the features here. It's got a, a 288 horsepower, 1.3 liter engine with a six speed automatic transmission. And I, again, I said it's in hot tamale. It's got various uh, performance and appearance packages. It has EPA ratings here. Being a plug-in hybrid, gives you the EPA numbers, say, 32 miles on all-electric power. And uh, although when I get in the car, it says 31 miles, which is close enough. Mm -hmm. And it, being a performance car, it goes, well, it's not going to be like charger quick, but it goes from 0 to 60 in 5.6 seconds. Let's see, the, the base price is $44,995 with the various options and uh, delivery charge. Plus you get uh, our example had uh, a credit for deleting the sunroof. And because it was, it has some performance and appearance packages, you get a discount on those, mm -hmm. but the total base price or the total price as tested is $53,305. Now what, uh, it's tuned for performance, so you get a little harsher ride, but you get pretty good handling. 
and uh, the the EPA range on this it says 360 miles, but when I get in the car with a full charge, it said 31 miles electric range and only 255 miles with a full tank of gas. It gives you the the gas range in a separate number. Mm-hmm. And it does have a rather, uh, it's kind of a small gas tank. It's only 13 gallons. So even though it's very efficient, you uh, you can't go as far as you might like because it's got a small gas tank. Right. What was the size of that engine, did you say? A 1.3 liter, wow. 288 horsepower. Yeah, tiny, kind of a small engine. Uh, right, but if you, they the fuel rating is you can put regular gas in but if you want to get a little more performance you uh, they say you can put premium in right turbocharged right. out i would think right and uh, now one one feature i found this was interesting is that it's got a harman kardon stereo system it has a good sound system but for some reason it seems that the the antenna is uh, the antenna system is kind of lacking. I noticed that uh, FM reception on some stations was kind of sketchy, even though I normally in other vehicles can pull them in. And the same with AM radio. So that was hmm. that was kind of surprising. Yeah, uh, definitely surprising. I, I would imagine then that here where I am, which is sort of on the fringe of the uh, public radio station signal, uh, and on some units uh, they have trouble kind of locking into the signal that i might have some issues with that that's a that's a drag um well you know i'm uh, but going back to the performance of this you know i'm sort of surprised that you're saying it's a 1.3 and it's got uh, you know a hybrid assist and yet the epa numbers are really not that outstanding right and i i i think that uh you know, it must be just the way it's tuned to be more performance-oriented. Maybe. There's got to be a reason, because it just seems, unless the weight of the yep. car is is uh, you know, so much so that it's uh, it's just hauling around a lot of weight all the time. Well, it's a compact, so I don't think it's all that heavy. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Right. I don't have, I don't know, i got the spec sheet here, but I don't have the weight here. Right. And, uh, well, and, well, what what about the handling? I mean, is it all sort of, does that sort of uh, satisfy your, your sporty urge? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's really nice on the curves. You know, I was driving this thing in upstate New York on windy, twisty roads, and it was fun to drive. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can see how it's optimized. Right. Yeah. And uh, now it, it also has, uh, this is the one feature that I probably, you know, that needs some attention here. Okay, it's got paddle shifters in, behind the steering wheel, but they're fixed, so they're really big. They don't turn with the steering wheel. But I found that they were rather close to the steering wheel itself. And if, if you can feel it with your hands when your hands are on the wheel. But then if you're wearing gloves, it gets kind of tight if you have fairly thick gloves. Mm-hmm. But the, the uh, what I could say is the one thing that happened with me, I was making a left turn. I had my right hand on the wheel with my thumb kind of sticking out through the wheel. And I 
pulled it over by going from right to left 180 degrees and it got jammed at the paddle shifter and i said whoa you know i think once you buy the car you realize that but if you knew in the car it seems that they could probably pull those paddle shifters a little bit more maybe just even a quarter of an inch away from the steering wheel Sure. Well, what what about, you know, I'm thinking, too, that if you've got heated steering wheel on it, that maybe you should take the gloves off. <laughs> oh, yeah, but when you get in, you know, it's still not that hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, but you got those uh, hot tamale seats there. Yeah, but the, right. But then again, well, that's hot tamale red. Yeah. But to uh, turn on the steering wheel heater, you got to go through the screen. Right. So okay. it's, not, it's not a distinct button. You push the uh, comfort button on the screen and find the steering heater icon and hit that. Right. Yeah, I, I sort of recall, you know, with Dodge that they have uh, that function on the, in, in the, on the screen in the control menu. Uh, but, you know, speaking of the screen, uh, how's the infotainment setup? Is that working pretty nicely? Dodge has kind of had a reputation for you know, very ease of use. Yeah, it's, their, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's intuitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have to look things up. You can just, when you get, when you get in the car, you know, and you kind of diddle around on the screen to see what's there and how it works, it's something that's, uh, you know, you can pick up fairly easily. It's yeah, not, that's, that's a real hallmark of uh, the, the, the Dodge. Yeah, it's... It, it's not. You don't have to uh, do a deep dive as on maybe some Swedish cars that we know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was a good week. Uh, looking forward to maybe more of the uh, hybrid and plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, possibly from Dodge. Right. They've been a little bit late to the game uh, for the most right. part. Right. And, and then, plus, it's the uh, it's the Alpha platform that uh, is common with the alpha the the hornet it's the same platform as the tonale okay yeah um, yeah uh, well they've been sharing stuff and i imagine that 1.3 liter engine is probably from fiat as well yeah and i think they build them in the same factory mm -hmm. well okay so what else have you got for us automotive well, something interesting here from our friends at iccars.com, okay? They, they are looking at which cars hold their value best and which cars are the worst. They looked at depreciation. Uh, oh, they, look, they looked at here, it says, uh, um, just over a million cars sold from November 22 to October 2023. Um, these are used cars, and they determine the depreciation. And what's interesting is that electric vehicles are what they consider the worst segment at holding their value. In five years, they lose 49% of their value. Trucks and hybrids retain the most value, losing only 35 to 37%. And it, it's interesting that uh, the... There are, haven't been that many electric cars that kind of skews the data. They're mostly Teslas that uh, uh, influence the the electric vehicles uh, depreciation. 
but some of the uh, the hybrids keep their value uh, because what the study says is that uh, the hybrid gives you efficiency without range anxiety. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, the numbers will probably change as more affordable electric vehicles come in over the next few years. Plus think. the fact that I think the vehicles lose their lose their value because up until recently you couldn't get a rebate from either the federal government or a state government for buying a used electric vehicle and now you can so that may bring the prices and uh, keep the depreciation more more in line with other vehicles well and you got to factor in you know the demand uh you know, although right. the sales of electric vehicles, new electric vehicles, has been steadily increasing and actually kind of almost, you know, exponentially increasing um, over the last five years uh, with more models out there, um, the demand is still not where anywhere near where like the demands for pickup trucks are. So, um, right, you know, it, 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 you know, dealers do not want to keep a used car on the lot for for months after months just waiting for the buyer. And, uh, right, and if you and previously you couldn't get like any kind of rebate on a used electric vehicle, mm-hmm. so that uh, somebody might consider buying a new one, getting a full warranty, and getting the rebate that uh, would bring the price uh, price way down. Right, but some some of the vehicles with the lowest depreciation, and these these are all different types. It's very interesting. Some vehicles maybe are like a cult vehicle. Or uh, like the the vehicle with the lowest depreciation over five years is a Porsche 911, hmm. and then uh, premium vehicle. Yeah, and then uh, the the third ranked vehicle, the vehicle that doesn't uh, well, the Porsche 911 loses only 9.3 percent over five years. The por- the next the next uh, uh, vehicle that loses the least value is the the Porsche 718 Cayman, which loses 17% over five years. So that's almost twice the rate of the 911. And the third third vehicle that loses the least is the Toyota Tacoma, the midsize pickup truck, at uh, 20% of its value over five years. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, interesting yeah. that it's in the same category, or at least in that same top five ranking as as the two portions. Right, right. And the whole study they go into like the top twenty five vehicles that keep their value, and uh, you'll see like the number thirteen's Toyota Tundra truck loses twenty five percent of its value. Interesting and, how uh, how what you can do with a lot mm-hmm. of uh, when you've got all that data in front of you. That's right. And like, see, how about the Chevy Camaro? It, it's number seven in seventh place, losing only 24% of its value. And the Ford Mustang is in 11th place, using just about uh, a half a percentage more in value. So those cars are in demand because they're, uh, they have enthusiasts uh, who are interested in them. Right. So does this tell us that we should all go out and buy some Porsches? Um, you know, maybe well, Lisa, here, that, Lisa, Lisa Porsche. 
<laughs> That's right. But here, how about the cars with the, the, the worst depreciation over five years? Okay, number, number one is the Maserati Quattroporte that loses 64% over five years. Oh, my God. And most of these are luxury vehicles. That it, it's the usual trend of luxury vehicles that uh, they they lose their value because uh, the owners can move on to a the newest luxury uh, vehicle and price is no object. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how they factor in leased vehicles because I guess theoretically uh, what you're paying for in that lease is to cover the depreciation of the vehicle plus, of course, well, all, hey, all the service well, charges. See, yeah, they, they say the study is 1.1 million used car sales. Okay, so I assume that includes vehicles coming off a lease. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, once again, I see cars has come through with uh, interesting uh, statistics. They kind of uh, help uh, make tech talk uh, what it is every week or every other uh-huh. week. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, we could get some numbers, too. There's other uh, outlets that we could take a look at. Um, right, but they, uh, let's see, they're, they're part of the New England Motor Press Association, so they send us uh, folks here in New England all their press releases. Right. Which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, well, you know, while we're plugging things, uh, RPM News Weekly also features the EV Power podcast, and we had some really interesting information on our latest episode from Cox Automotive. Uh, so check that out, folks, if you get an opportunity to go to evpowerpodcast.com and check out the podcast. So what else have you got here on the technical side of things? Yeah, we have some more EV news here that uh, okay. General, General Motors has announced a partnership with Nyron Magnetics. Uh, This is a company that, uh, it's an up-and-coming company. They've come up with what they call clean earth magnets. Now, these are magnets that do not have rare earth elements in them, like neodymium and other rare earth elements. They're, They're based on using iron nitride, and so the materials for these, you won't have to go to China for them. You can, they're fairly common in uh, all around the world. And what they are saying is that they can produce the same mag, um, magnetic density, okay? The same, same strength of magnetic field, but they're lighter and therefore they can make smaller, more efficient motors. So uh, any vehicle applications would uh, also save weight, which is also important. And that it, it's kind of like a loop that if you if you make it lighter and it's uh, more efficient, you don't need, uh, obviously you, you save energy there just in, in operating the vehicle. True, yeah. I suppose this is all part of GM's strategy as we move towards a, a more electric future uh, with a lot more EVs coming out. Right. And then, uh, oh, let's see, some other uh, other auto companies are also interested in this Nyron Magnetics. And uh, 
let's see. I think I had the who they are here. If I can find it. Yes, Stellantis is looking at it, and also uh, Volvo as well. Mm-hmm. But the the GM was the big announcement this week that they're going uh, uh, with a big partnership with them. So if they can, the big thing is, can you scale these devices up to where they're going to be uh, practical, and uh, can you put and can you come up with enough production? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're, if you're having common materials, it, it seems that the production issue is not a problem. It's a case of can you, you, can you scale it up to be what the, the data says that you can do with these. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Very good. Nice, nice piece. What's next? Okay. Hey, uh, we, can, we can wrap it up with this here. This is from the University of Toronto. And they've come up with, they've done a self, a survey of cell phone use around the world. And they looked at, uh, I don't know how many, uh, 200 countries. And they've kind of targeted, uh, oh, let's see. They looked at 200 countries with data from about 50,000 subjects. And they've come up with the fact that uh, 30% of people who use a cell phone are at, oh, say, addicted to cell phone. That doesn't mean that, it, it means you use the cell phone a lot, it, it, not that you're entranced by it and whatever, although some people might be. And they also found that in certain areas of the world, it's the use is a lot more than in other areas. Now, they, the, the results of this that I'm looking at, they didn't give numbers here, but they say it's high in Southeast Asia, it's higher than 30% and lower in Europe. And uh, what they're speculating is the fact that maybe in uh, Europe where phone, phones were have been maybe around more in the last 15 years, whereas in Southeast Asia, the computer technology, they've kind of skipped laptops and desktops and gone right to the phone as both the computer that people use as well as the phone to communicate, plus the fact that by cell phone use, they don't just mean staring at a screen, they mean with making phone calls, whatever. And so it seems to be the culture in Asia to be more connected with family. So you're on the phone more, just keeping in touch and saying how, seeing how people are doing each day and so on. Mm-hmm. But what uh, also they came up with an interesting factor is that in Canada, where the study comes from, here's the number that they quote, 56% of university women in Canada are addicted to their phones. In other words, they use their phones uh, you know, so much over the 30% of uh, time per day. So it's, a, it's kind of an interesting study, but uh, there's really no, not much cause and effect as to what causes more use in one country than another, other than them trying to speculate as to uh, like I said about family connections and so on. Right. Yeah. 
Well, causality would be really an important part of uh, you know that study, um, you know, because right, otherwise some, people would mis misread the data as meaning something right. that it may not mean at all. Right. It's it's you know it's it's not so much an addiction as the way society works, and except that using the phone is more is more it's more like a tool like some some people you might be on the phone all day and work but it's not it's not just phone calls it's doing research and and so on sure and so, some some people read a lot you know the the phone has become a a place to go to to do read novels so someone might be sitting there reading a novel for 2 hours uh, which would right, constitute use that, but, you know yeah like it uh, i was looking at one one survey now people in the older generations, like you and me, may still read a newspaper, but the younger generations, they won't read a newspaper, but they'll get their news off the phone from various sources. Now, hopefully you're getting it from a source that's credible. Right, but there are many more outlets that you can have access to. That's, a, that's an important thing too. Right, you know. it, it boggles my mind. <laughs> Well, don't get too boggled because we have to wrap it up here, and we. Uh, okay. It would be important for you to do your closing line. <laughs> That's a wrap. I'm glad we could get together, Rich. Likewise. So this has been Rick's Tech Talk here on RPM News Weekly. Another episode to tune in every week, where you'll get news and information all around the tech world. Thanks for joining us this week on the RPM News Weekly podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at rpmnewsweekly.com for more automotive news and interviews.